Today on the podcast, a mantelpiece moment that reflects on some of the best opening lines in literature. A novel that is sure to stir up any frightening realities that we lived through, especially at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, which might sound odd, made only stranger by the fact that this novel was written in 2014. And of course, the weekly reveal to what magical book I have pulled down from my to-be-read shelf. All of that and more this week on A Novel Review. Hello and welcome to the literature podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature. And the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle. So let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I am your host, and before I jump into this week's book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past. And this week, well, I mean, like I say this week, but it was a while ago, but I read an article in a British newspaper about the greatest opening lines in literature. Now, Articles like this I always find fascinating, and it was done by poll to see which book and line topped the list by readers. Now, I'll give you a moment to gather your thoughts, take some guesses mentally, you know, shout your answers out if you want, I won't be able to hear them. I will give you a clue. This is a British paper, and so, well, yes, the readers and therefore responders are British. Now, for the top five. In fact, I'm going to go in reverse because I want to build some suspense. In number five... We had Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and the line, Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were perfectly normal, thank you very much. Now, this line surprised me because I didn't think it's, you know, I don't think it's that great an opening line and I wouldn't have said it was particularly that memorable, especially considering the larger scope of the story. So that was number five. Number four was my boy Tolkien with his luminous line, yes, I am biased, In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Brilliant line, though, to be fair. I wouldn't have put it in my top five of most memorable opening lines, but I do think it's a great line to start burrowing into the story. Uh, Number three, we had J.M. Barry's Peter Pan and his line, All children except one grow up. Now, that's a very solid line. Really gets you thinking straight away about what kind of story this will be. Happy for it to be there, you know, that's fine. Number two, we had George Orwell's 1984 and the line, It was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Yep, yeah, brilliant line. The reference to April makes us recognise where we are, but the clock striking 13 is just far away enough to make us realise that something big has changed in society without being too far away that we feel disconnected from it. So, yep, brilliant, happy for that to be there. And now, number one, drum roll, please. That was shit. Charles Dickens and a Tale of Two Cities. And the line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. I expected this, especially from the Brits. I actually haven't read this book. It's on my reading pile. I started it once years ago, and I couldn't muster the motion to get going. Maybe something for the new year. So... 
that was the list. No Anna Karenina, which was a surprise because I think that's one of the best opening lines, but hey, good to have a list that's different from every other list out there. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impairment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So head along, they are all free for use for all to enjoy. Also, all the episodes are available on YouTube with closed captions if that's more your cup of tea. Let's kick things off. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. My second book by her, and I was only slightly nervous. The first book was The Sea of Tranquility, and it was such a fresh amount of fun in a book. I was nervous whether lightning would strike twice. She did not let me down. It was fun, engaging, interesting, and I smashed the book in three days. And honestly, since then, I've been in a bit of a book and reading slump, trying to find something that is just fun to match the enjoyment I had with this book. A different kind of trigger warning this week. This book was written in 2014 and details a world ravaged by a pandemic that kills 99% of the population. If you read this book, the opening section is detailing the beginnings of a pandemic and let's just say that Emily got the detail, the emotion, the denial, the struggle, the confusion, the pain, the isolation pretty fucking spot on. Of course, COVID did not kill 99% of us, thankfully. But it was just so fascinating to see how she envisioned the world and how, and how the world would move through a pandemic. I'm talking about stocking up on food and toilet paper, people not believing it's real, people on ventilators. It was, it was horrifyingly accurate to what almost all of us felt during that time. And so reading it can be a bit triggering for those anxieties because some people had a really, really bad time in that period. I should probably do an overview, but I feel like you can probably gauge the story from what I have just revealed. Basically, a pandemic hits called the Georgia flu originating out of Georgia, and it kills 99% of the population. Now, this is an Emily St. John Mandel novel, so it's never just that simple. There are a few different timelines, both pre- and post-pandemic hitting, and at the crux of it is the character of Arthur, who has a heart attack on stage while performing King Lear and dies the day the pandemic kicks off. All of the timelines lead up to the eve of the pandemic or take place in a ravaged world, and I think a way to sum up the meaning of the novel is the tagline that appears on the travelling company's wagon. The travelling company, for reference, are a troupe of actors and singers that travel to different towns in a post-pandemic world, performing theatre acts, mostly Shakespeare, and the sign reads, Survival is insufficient. Mm. Now what do we think of that? Survival is insufficient. It's a quote that echoes shades of the first novel of this podcast, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. A similar book of sorts, though I would say that this novel, Station Eleven, is perhaps a touch lighter, which doesn't say much. But it is a fascinating quote and a fascinating idea. We are human beings of the human race, and simply surviving I don't think is enough for us anymore. We are consciously aware of the world and need to recognize the beauty, need art and poetry and literature to make sense of the jumbled mess because... So much of what we do with our lives is all the same thing. 
trying to make sense of who we are and what this is. Science, religion, may be two different things, but with the hope to explain the chaos of the world. And because of this, we have to be striving for something. We are aware of ourselves, and so therefore we are aware of what that means. The trouble is, we fall short in execution and how to actually conduct ourselves in line with that idea. And the same thing happens in this novel. Now, I want to say this, and I hope it comes off the right way. This novel feels very North American end of the world. I don't know if that's just because the majority of the end of the world stories take place in that part of the world, in the Hollywood productions, but that's just the feeling of it all. Survival might be insufficient, but one of the more fascinating characters of the novel is the Prophet. Maybe a touch cliche in the sense of the wider story, but no less interesting. He takes survival as insufficient to a whole new level, and what makes the idea of him so fascinating is, he was a child who survived the initial pandemic and then grew up with a god complex, because surviving something that killed 99% of man, I guess, is not a bad day at the office, and then it becomes sort of perfectly reasonable to develop a complex that you have survived for a reason, and therefore are better than the vast majority of history. Naturally though, he is not a great man. He is not the next coming of Christ, leading the people with good morals and ethics. Instead, it's more of a kidnap women and force them to be your wives kind of situation because you feel you have to personally repopulate the world. And, well, I mean, that's the prophet. It's actually a really difficult novel to discuss because while the pandemic might seem like the driving force of the novel, there is actually a web of tales going on neatly threaded throughout the story. What is actually one of, I think, the most central driving forces of the novel is this comic book, Station Eleven. And in fact, if we go deeper, it's not really Station Eleven. For reference, Station Eleven is a graphic novel that an ex-wife of Arthur worked on for most of her life. When it was done, gave a copy to Arthur, who then gave it to one of the young stage girls who keeps it. It might seem convoluted, but it is this kind of idea about how things, particularly physical things, can move through the world from person to person in this six degrees of separation kind of way which goes hand in hand with the pandemic and how that can spread so quickly through people but what else it does this this comic book this graphic novel that one woman worked on for most of her life what else it does is become a beacon of sorts to the old world art literature poetry history ah history relics of the past that now after the collapse of civilization is so far gone we don't even know what to do with it. And then there comes the supremely curious question. When do we forsake the past and at what point do we let the curtain come down? Things that seem so, so important, like mobile phones, now suddenly lifeless relics with no hope of return. Electricity is gone, so charging a phone is pointless. And so at what stage do we stop teaching the technology of a lost age? Stop trying to explain that at the flick of a switch, a light bulb could illuminate a room at any hour of the day and night. At what stage does it become a ridiculous form of torturous fantasy? It highlights how much of the world we do not understand. There is a difference between representation and experience, and right now I can only represent what electricity is and how it works. Electrical currents pass through copper wires to deliver energy to a source, and then something happens. A light bulb illuminates, a machine turns on, 
a microwave starts turning. I can represent my knowledge, but this is a representation and don't confuse it for experience. I don't actually understand and I can't actually comprehend how to genuinely generate electricity if I were to be placed in a similar situation. But what can we preserve? What can we continue to teach and promote and turn to for guidance and comfort? Art, literature, novels, poetry, music, all of it transcending time and situation to bring hope that humans are not only capable of survival, but capable of sustaining a life of meaning. Survival is insufficient, but that is not an issue when we have the recognised beauty of man and the world coalesced as one. It is a fun novel. An adventure novel, if that's what you want. A love story, a human story. Perseverance and defiance. A mystery novel wondering how all the stories weave together into one. So many stories in one, but for me it was fun and I would rate it a solid 3.9 out of 5. So head along and read it if any of this was interesting to you. So what am I reading this week? This week I am reading, well, I mean I'm still reading The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I thought I would give an update since it's a big book and I wasn't properly into it like I am now. First off, I'm listening to it. It's read by Bill Homewood, and once again, he is smashing it out of the park. I love him as a narrator reader of books, to the point that I will listen to books specifically if he reads them. I can't remember if I mentioned that before, but if you've heard that twice, well, I mean, go listen to a book by Bill Homewood. Now, the story itself is brilliant, truly. I love it. It's, it's sweeping. It's a big-scale story. I have only really seen the Disney film, which, while that is quite dark and raw for a Disney film, the book is much darker, and I don't think I really knew how dark it would be, or was. The book is long, but so far it doesn't feel slow. There are parts that perhaps in modern day editing would be cut out, but I love the embellishment of the slow burn story. There is a story in here. The book is also rich in history and the writing is really, really fantastic. There are so many quotes that are sweeping and large and just so, so good. So yeah, this is a little update of the book episode coming sometime, I don't know, in the future. Now, before I close out the show, if you have listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode. And today to take us away, I think, well, I think we've had a lot of quotes today from various books. So let's have the opening line from Anna Karenina. And it reads, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. 